Supercharged with Anna Geary on RTE Radio 1. Hello, hello. We are back for a third series. And whether you're tuning in for the first time or you're a regular listener, you're very welcome to the show. Supercharged is your dedicated health and well-being show. It is going to be jam-packed with credible advice from the experts. And you know, we'll also hear some real-life personal stories too from people like you and me. Audience interaction is a huge part of the show. Actually, it's my favourite part. So I would love you to get involved again this series. You can reach out to us via email at supercharged at rte.ie or text on 51551. I don't know whether it's topic ideas for the show comments or your questions I would love to hear from you and you know what it's actually a good time for Supercharged to be returning because tomorrow is Blue Monday I didn't really know what Blue Monday was or why they even call it Blue Monday so I was doing a little bit of research and it happens on the third Monday in January every year and it's actually down to a mixture of factors so whether it's weather conditions and the post-Christmas lull which a lot of us are still experiencing But it's also to do with feeling like we're failing at our New Year's resolutions. Even though we're only two weeks into the year, we're feeling like we're failing. And then we get frustrated with our low motivation levels. Like there's so, there's so much pressure, isn't there, in setting New Year's resolutions. Everybody's talking about them. Everybody's asking each other what their New Year's resolutions are. We feel like we should be hitting the ground running, getting back into routine, sending good habits. Like it's exhausting. And I have to hold my hands up because I've been struggling myself a small bit because I'm working on a new TV project. We're in the thick of filming. We're doing lots of driving. They're long days. And routine has gotten out the window. Like there's no consistency in my food. Very little movement in my days. Sleep isn't great. And I've actually been giving myself a bit of a hard time. So I had to have a word with myself because it's only January. There is a long year ahead. And I think we need to be a little bit kinder to ourselves. Maybe you're the same as me and you need to be a bit kinder to yourself too. So this evening, I want to try and take the pressure off. Because lots of us are focusing on like restricting and eliminating things this time of year. So this evening, we're going to talk about nutrition and movement and mental health with a bit of a twist. Because I want to talk about simple things that we can add in. Because it's easier to add something into your life than it is to try and cut something out. Like, I guess it's almost like we're creating a manual for your physical and mental health. This week on Instagram, I was chatting about what we were focusing on adding in for 2023. And some of you got in touch. Hi, Anna. Just in relation to adding more things into 2023, I think it's more new friendships would be something that would be really important. So you would have had some relationships and they've under course. So definitely more new friendships for 2023, I'd add in. Hi, Anna. So the main goal I have for 2023 is consistency. I love the gym and healthy eating, but in the past, I've struggled to be consistent with my routine. For example, some weeks I would go to the gym five times and then the next week I may only go once or twice. So this year I finally bought myself a journal and every Sunday I am writing down a plan for the week ahead. This will help keep me more accountable. It's going great so far, so fingers crossed I can keep it up. Hello Anna. For 2023 I'd like to focus on relationships and love and hopefully I'll find that special someone... 
Thank you for all of those and keep your messages coming in to 51551. Now, let's kick things off with food and nutrition. We hear so much about what we shouldn't be eating. So you know what? Instead, let's focus on what foods we should be including in our diets across all ages. Joining me now in studio is Orla Walsh, dietitian, giving us her expert tips. Thank you for joining us, Orla. Welcome to Supercharged. Thanks for having me. A lot of people are going to be interested in this because, again, we're always hearing about restricting and, and what not to eat. But, you know, what I love as well about your advice is it does encompass all ages because, you know, what younger people should be eating and older people should be eating isn't always the same thing. So let's start with younger people, with children, very young children. What should we be adding in? Well, I suppose one thing that people need to get into the habit of adding in, especially between uh, Halloween and March, is a vitamin D supplement, regardless of the age. Now, the FSAI have great guidelines on one to five year olds. Mm -hmm. So we need that vitamin D supplement. And we definitely need it as babies too, but it just how much you need depends whether you're breastfed or uh, formula fed and how much formula. But certainly between the ages, you know, up to five, you'll need five micrograms. And If you have darker skin, you might need more. You might Mm -hmm. need 10 micrograms. And then as we get older, we might need more again. So if, for example, you're over 60, um, you might need up to 20 micrograms. So vitamin D supplementation is important and you tailor it towards age and other things such as skin colour. And would would say when you are trying to supplement with vitamin D, are you better off going into your pharmacist and asking them? Because sometimes people can be overwhelmed by the vast array, I suppose, of supplements that are out there. And when I when I was talking about how we were going to be talking about adding things in, so many people were asking about supplements. Yeah, and vitamin D is something that most people should be taking. I think compliance. So even there's plenty of people at home going, I know I have it, but I forget <laughs> somewhere to take in the it. press. And I find that for some reason the compliance seems to be better with the sprays. Um, but you okay. certainly need to keep it somewhere that you can see it every day. Mm-hmm. I like the spray because you can keep it by the toothbrush. So you know if you're monitoring even your kids and and uh, whether or not they've brushed their teeth, again it's beside the spray. Or the spray is beside the toothbrush. So there's, you know, it's just something you you kind of uh, anchor one habit to another. Mm-hmm. Um, but keeping it um, on the dinner table is a good idea too, because we do need to take it every day. And that's not a supplement you necessarily have to take with food. Can you take that on its own? Anytime. Okay. It's just when we anchor one habit to another, we're just more likely to do it. Great. Okay, so we're already adding in everybody, vitamin D, add it to the list. If you don't have it in your press, go out and get some. So let's talk about then about food. We'll say starting with children, what should we be adding into our diets? Well, there's lots of um, myths out there. And I think red meat has taken a huge bashing um, over the years. So I think a lot of people were, um, there was a lot of chit chat again when these guidelines came out that it encouraged people to include lean red meats three times a week uh, for one to five year olds. And you're looking at a 30 gram portion. So not like they only have tiny bellies at that age. They're not able for big portions anyway. And I suppose most people do eat red meat often. So it's kind of comforting to be reminded that actually it provides a lot of nutrition and particularly iron. Um, interesting in the guidelines as well it showed that um, one to three year olds if they're smaller than average so if you know centiles it kind of less than 25 um, they they might need an iron supplement um, and a low dose iron supplement or to take a, a milk that's fortified with iron and may I ask then for people that may um, predominantly work off plant-based diets if you are a parent you know 
how can how can they work that is is the the lean red meat essential um no so there there are alternatives if you don't like red meat or if your child doesn't or if you just don't eat it um so the likes of lentils are a good source of iron um there are plenty of sources of iron but when it comes to plant sources to aid the absorption we do need vitamin C with them because some plants it's harder to get at the iron it's not as available to the body um, so you do need to give it a helping hand but there's fortified breakfast cereals that really take the pressure off so the likes of Ready Breck or Weetabix um, or um, other fortified cereals would be good choices and they're low sugar too. Great. And let's move on now to adolescents and what would be important for them to be adding into their diet. Well, there's lots, I suppose, to focus on. But one thing that um, I think people still need to do better at or aim for um, would be the portions of dairy a day. So we need to aim for five portions of dairy between the age of nine and 18, just simply the growth rate. We're putting down our skeleton in those years. We're deciding how thick uh, our bones are going to be. And, you know, it's such an important time frame because you only really get one chance to mm-hmm. build your bones and decide how thick they're going to be and you spend your adult life then trying to retain those mm-hmm. that bone health. So it's so important to get it right and they have compared calcium through a supplement versus calcium through dairy and calcium through, although both were good, calcium uh, through dairy was better um, and better at building the thickness of those bones. And how do you navigate then if say a teenager decides they want to become vegan or vegetarian you know how do you navigate that if if they're not going to eat dairy so if it can be for other reasons too such as allergies Mm -hmm. it's another one so generally speaking the milk alternatives that still contain protein would be the likes of soya milk or uh, pea milk Mm -hmm. Um, soya milk being more uh, popular so they are fortified to be similar to uh, to regular milk um, they do tend to contain the same amount of calcium but you have to shake the carton loads because that calcium can be left at the bottom of the carton and you could be recycling that without knowing it so shake it loads and then look out for um, a milk alternative that is fortified with iodine too because we know that iodine intakes aren't hitting the mark and they're important for lots of things including um, metabolism now let's move on to adults. Um, fish is something that comes up quite a bit. Like why why is it so important to be I suppose introducing fish regularly into our diet? Well, if you think about it, if we're eating um, land animals they can give us certain nutrients and when we eat sea animals they give us a different array um, one thing about fish is that especially oily fish is it gives us omega-3 and we can't really get it from anywhere else. So okay. it gives us, so the omega-3, for example, that you find in chia seeds or rapeseed oil would give you a ALA. It's a different type of fat to the one that you get from oily fish, which gives you EPA and DHA. Now, it's essential fat, meaning that we can't make it in our body. We have to give it to our body. So if you're not eating oily fish or taking a supplement of omega-3 or for those who are following a vegan diet or vegan lifestyle it's um, a supplement of algae omega-3 um, if you're not getting that in you're missing out okay and it's essential for life so I'd encourage people to eat more oily fish on average in Ireland we eat a few bites a week and some people don't necessarily like either the odour or also yeah. the, the smell because it can be quite strong so like any tips for that? Yeah and if adults don't eat the fish the kids generally won't mm-hmm. either so the main thing one of the barriers you're right is the smell of it so I would encourage people to bake it in the oven oh, okay. with just in tin foil and really it, you won't even smell it at mm-hmm. all it's not like when you fry it um, and you know I think people think it's complicated or hard to cook but again if you just put the salmon for example in tin foil 
oil and bake it for like 15-20 minutes at 200 degrees it's not hard I promise Well there is our challenge for the week now we all have to have a few portions of fish Let's talk about I suppose the older population we've been getting a few questions in about protein yeah, so protein's important and our protein requirements really increase from the day we're born to the day we die. Older adults need more to stimulate their muscles to grow and repair at the max rate. And it's important to spread out that protein across the day. So one place that people tend to fall short is breakfast. So I often encourage people, and science is offensive, so if you think you're older, you probably are. <laughs> um, I encourage people to have maybe a glass of milk with their breakfast or a couple of eggs and their toast instead of the jam. And that can go a long way because if you don't feed those muscles you can lose them. It's a slow enough process but that process quickens with age. A lot of people talking about the importance of fibre in our diets as well and in Ireland we don't get enough fibre. Yeah, 80% of people tend to be fibre deficient and that has impacts and it can have an impact on gut health. Um, not just the, I suppose, the healthiness of our microbiome which is, um, I liken it to a bit like the sea in our gut because there's an array of different bacteria and, and different organisms living in our gut. It's not just bacteria. Um, but we need fibre to feed that bacteria and feed our gut health, but we need it to actually go to the bathroom every day. And there's a, a huge number, maybe one in three people will suffer from constipation from time to time or, you know, um, or difficulties such as hemorrhoids or fissures, like little cuts um, when they go to the loo. And one thing that people are doing that they could do better at is, is get enough fibre, such as add more nuts and seeds into their diet, drink enough water. But it's a position when you go to the loo. It's really important that your knees are higher than your hips. So if you're not a really tall person, you actually need to have your I'm feet in my a hands stool. Up here, yes. yes. <laughs> and neither of us are um, <laughs> vertically that. Um, that, that yes. Um, so you certainly need your feet on a stool and leaning a little bit forward. If you're taller, though, you can just put your you know, just have your feet on your tippy toes and lean a little bit right. forward. And that's the right position. It takes the pressure off your bum and that leads to a, a, a complete evacuation um, and less pressure. So causing less damage over time. Every day is a school day. My God, that's actually a great bit of advice for people. Can I just bring you back for a brief moment about protein? Whey protein and, and creatine for older people, is, is there merit in them adding it in to their diet? Yeah, that's interesting because you'll see in gyms around the country people taking whey protein and they're taking creatine too. And they're and often they're younger people. Younger people, exactly. And what we actually really need is the older population taking them. So really? whey is excellent at stimulating the muscles to grow and repair. And the older we are, the harder it is to stimulate our muscles. So the older people actually need whey more than the younger people. Do young people even need them at all? You could question that. Yeah. Creatine's interesting because it actually reduces, it's fatigue resistance. Um, so again, that's really helpful the older you get. But it's also great in terms of cognitive function and memory. So if you're talking about fatigue resistance, cognitive function and memory, I think you can, you know, agree that older generations probably need creatine more than younger. Really interesting. We've actually got a text in here from a 64-year-old male. He says, does cod liver oil capsules give sufficient vitamin D? It would give vitamin D, but I would actually encourage instead taking a vitamin D supplement and an omega-3 supplement. Orla, thank you so much. We'll have to get you back in. As always, you're a wealth of knowledge and there's so much there that we can be adding into our diet. And remember, the challenge of the week is to eat more fish for the week ahead. You can find Orla on Instagram at Orla Walsh Nutrition or you can check out our website, orlawalshnutrition.ie. Now, coming up, we're going to switch our attention to physical activity and why grannies should take up powerlifting.
Supercharged with Anna Geary on RTE Radio 1. Now, if you've just joined us, we're talking about what we can add in for our physical and mental health in 2023. And joining me now in studio is David Nolan, head coach at Synapse Performance and a sports scientist lecturing at both DCU and UCD. David, welcome to Supercharged. A pleasure. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you too. I suppose let's let's jump right in. Like, what do you all want us to add in this year when it comes to our physical activity? I suppose for me it always comes down to two main recommendations and they are movement and strength training. So I suppose everyone knows about movement. We just need to move more, be that structured exercise, going to the gym, walk, running, but just in our everyday lives, just getting up and sitting less. And then the second one that I tend to be quite passionate about is strength training, because I think we all know about the importance of aerobic exercise, the likes of walking, cycling, swimming, but we tend to neglect strength training, which is they're embedded in our physical activity guidelines mm-hmm. as well that we should be doing at least two strength training sessions per week. Yeah, because a lot of people, they'll see the 150 minutes of mm-hmm. moderate exercise and they'll think about the cardiovascular side of it, but they'll, they'll often forget the two strength sessions as well that they should be doing. Yeah, and that's vital to our health. So we see across all age groups, people who have higher levels of muscle mass and more important, muscle strength. So that a high level of muscle fu- function, they've reduced risk of disease and also mortality. So reduced risk of dying then just by simply being stronger. Yeah, and just moving more. Okay, so again, I'm very conscious that when it comes to physical activity, we want to talk across the spectrum from young all the way to the not so young. So let's talk about children then and and in terms of their physical activity. What should we be adding in? So children have even a higher level of requirements. So it's recommended they get 60 minutes of exercise per day. But when it comes to children, we really want most of that to come from unstructured play. So them just to be out of house and Mm -hmm. to be active. And also what we're trying to do with children is build the habits and skills that they can be lifelong um, exercisers. So we need to develop what we call their fundamental movement skills that they can run, skip, jump, throw, catch. And to get that through playing, mm-hmm. through playing with their friends in a non-structured way and through participating in sports and maybe a wide range of sports that they're not just trying one, that they're trying a wide range of sports, seeing what they like, what they don't like and developing these skills that allow them then to partake in physical activity for the rest of their lives. Because I remember reading a study recently and it was saying that the, the fundamental movement skills you're talking about, that they're actually declining now in younger kids, that they can't jump and catch and that their coordination might be the same because they're not playing out in the schoolyards as much. They're not playing out in the gardens mm. after school and you know it's to, to focus on that Yeah a colleague of mine at DCU Dr Stephen Bean has done some great research showing that that these skills are declining in children so we need to encourage them to get out and play and maybe not to mollycoddle children so much that allow them to climb trees to climb over walls or to do these activities that stress their bodies in different ways and allow them just to move in a variety of ways And very important as well to say it's boys and girls let them climb trees let them you know and that it's not just one for, for one gender one for the other I suppose movement is movement for younger kids um, let's move on now to, to adolescents and teenagers and what we should be paying attention to I suppose when it comes to adolescence, the biggest risk we want to avoid is dropout of exercise mm-hmm. and sport. So we see it across both boys and girls, but probably a higher prevalence in girls. So we really want to encourage them to keep participating in sport and physical activity throughout their adolescence because we see this transition where the peer group become much more influential and they're trying to figure out who they are. And we also have growth spurts where 
children, they're feeling awkward. So they're trying to learn how to move in this new body that that's developing and changing for them. But we want to encourage them to stay in sport and especially on the female side of stuff. We know menstruation and sport mm-hmm. is, is a big issue and um, a lot of people will be self-conscious about themselves during these times. So just that we can have a, an open conversation in that. And we see recently they are a few are changing the, the lady shorts to, yeah, navy, to navy to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so if anyone's involved in sport or a lot of people in GA coaching, for example, to be cognitive of these type of issues yeah. that people and, are, are and facing. And I suppose removing the barriers to sport and physical activity for, for adolescents. And, you know, what I would love to ask you as well is about, you know, the idea of strength and conditioning. Often it's something that's more approached when training boys teams, even as young as 13, 14, 15, 16. But often that isn't the same case when it comes to teenage girls, because there's a misconception that, you know, strength conditioning means you're lifting heavy weights and you're going to get bulky. Yeah, and it's not the case. Like strength and conditioning in sport has two main functions. It's to make you better at your sport and to reduce your risk of injury. So people who are stronger they're able to run faster, jump higher, move quicker and just more robust athletes all around. And even if we're not trying to create elite athletes over adolescence, if we can reduce the risk of injuries, we know that girls are three times more likely to rupture their ACL compared to boys. But if we increase their lower body strength through appropriate athletic development, strength and conditioning, we see this risk come down. And if we can prevent people getting injured, they're more likely to improve themselves at the sport and stay in the sport longer. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Okay, well, let's move on now to, to adults. And you have this idea that you increase your peak and slow your decline. Tell us more about this. So I often say that healthy aging begins in younger life. So we grow and we increase our muscle mass and Orla was talking about our bone mass. We increase these through diet and exercise and lifestyle until maybe our mid-30s or early 40s, we see this peak occur. And then we see a steady decline for the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. Now, some people, unfortunately, decline to such a degree that their strength levels drop so low that they're essentially disabled or sarcopenic that we call it. So we all take it for granted that we've the strength in our legs to stand up out of a chair. If some people are frail enough that they don't have that, well then they can't go to the toilet by themselves and they lose their independence. So what I describe it as, we want to invest in our old age, in our early life. So it's like a pension. We I love we, it. We take money out of our wages every week and we're not going to see the benefit of it till our 70s or when we retire. But we understand that that's an important thing to have in place. Exercise is essentially our pension for our old age. So what we want to do is through strength training and through being physically active, increase the amount of muscle mass, muscle strength and bone mass we have so that we have a higher peak that when that decline starts, we're coming from a higher level. And if we continue to exercise, then we slow that decline as we age. And hopefully we never then get below that level where we become essentially disabled. So you want to increase the peak and slow the decline. So for a lot of people listening that may be beginners to the world of of strength training or even exercise in general, are there any key movements that they should be starting to do? And obviously, you know, um, asking qualified people, whether you're in a gym or in your local area, that can help. But what would you say are some of the key movements they should be focusing on? So we want to use what we call compound movements or movements that use a large amount of our, our muscle mass, but also mimic the everyday tasks we're going to do. So the squat patterns, something that we're sitting down and standing back up, picking something up off the ground, what we call the hinge pattern, pushing and pulling stuff away from ourselves. And people have this idea that it has to be big weights. It, it doesn't. We can start off with our own bodyweight exercise. If you're listening now and you're 70, 80 years of age, just try stand up out of your chair and sit back down five, ten times in a row. If you do that, take a break for a few minutes and do that once, twice or three times in a row, that could be enough for stimulus or stress and you'll see yourself getting better if you're doing that every day you will get stronger. 
Now, I suppose, again, like moving into the older adults then, you know, it's never too late to start. And you've mentioned there about some of, of the exercises, but there are some great examples of, you know, older athletes in Ireland really just, you know, inspiring others. Yeah, we've some fantastic, I come from a powerlifting background and we've some fantastic powerlifting athletes in Ireland. And for anyone who doesn't know, that's the sport where you put a big barbell on your back and you squash, bench press mm-hmm. and deadlift. But we have um, masters athletes in Ireland competing in their 60s, 70s and beyond and lifting really big weights. We've Irish powerlifting grannies, they're, they're known as. <laughs> Love it. Showing us all how it's done. Okay, there's a question that comes up a lot and people say, you know, they've limited time to exercise you know if they only have a half an hour to exercise what would you be recommending spending time on strength training or more aerobic activity like cardio I think if if you're limited on time your bang from book comes from strength training so when we look at people who actually meet the physical activity guidelines those who meet the strength guidelines of two sessions per week but not the aerobic they have better outcomes in terms of their health and reduced risk of death compared to those that meet the aerobic and not the strength so if you've only 30 minutes say to go to gym twice a week I would say focus on strength training and then try increase your physical activity throughout your normal day to mm-hmm. take care of the aerobic stuff so try to increase your step count in your yeah. everyday life outside and I think of that. there is often misconceptions and pressure around the 10,000 steps and people feel if they don't get it they're falling short but that's not the case Yeah we tend to have this all or nothing mentality um, so the 10,000 that was actually invented by a, a Japanese pedometer It was only um, a marketing company. ploy It was <laughs> and when we look at the research we see that people who do 12, 14, 16,000 they see even increased benefits but what I think is important to realise People that go from, say, 2,000 to 4,000 steps a day, they see a reduced risk, a significant impact. Those who go from four to six. So if you're doing, say, 2,000 steps per day at the moment, don't try and say, OK, I need to get 10,000 every day. Increase it to 4,000 a day for the next week and then maybe to 5,000. And mm-hmm. take it in small increments because yeah. these small, consistent changes will make a big difference yeah. over the long term. Those small, little improvements. And like mm-hmm. you said, I mean... I would be of the mentality something is better than nothing. So even if you're not doing any steps at the moment, even a thousand mm. steps a day will, will make a big difference, even to your mood as much as your physical well-being. Yeah, because if you're at 2,000, you try to say, I need to get to 10, more likely you're going to fail. You're, yeah. It's too big of a jump. Where if you set yourself small, achievable goals, well, then you're building momentum of achieving and make and progressing. David, thank you so much. There's so many good points there. And David has been kind enough to put together a video for us explaining some of those exercises that he was mentioning earlier on. And we're going to post that on the RTE social channels next week. So stay tuned for that. David Nolan, thank you so much for coming in to us. You can find more from David on Instagram at Synapse Performance. That's S-Y-N-A-P-S-E Performance. Right. That's our physical health sorted. Next, we'll find out what we can do to improve our mental health. Supercharged with Anna Geary on RTE Radio 1. Supercharged with Anna Geary on RTE Radio 1. You've been sending in your voice notes about what you are adding in for 2023 rather than what you're cutting out. I love to hear it. Hi Anna, what I am adding in for 2023 is more self-care to try to reduce anxiety that has been caused by the onset of menopause. Thank you. Hi Anna, what I'm adding into 2023 is to live in the now because we never know when our lives could change 
and also to not wait or wish for a special day or occasion. Make every day a special occasion. That is so, so true. Now, let's turn our attention to mental health and psychologist Neve Fitzpatrick joins me now. Neve, we've talked about diet and physical activity already. So now what can we add into our lives in 2023 to improve our mental health? Well, there's lots. I, I think we're only going to go through a few here mm-hmm. obviously this evening because we don't have all day. But the reality is you could spend a week talking about the different things you can do to mind your mental health. And I think... For a lot of people, when they're listening to us on this aspect of the show, they probably think that we're going to talk about things like, you know, doing a journal, doing a gratitude journal or um, affirmations or, you know, half an hour of meditation a day. People tend to think of those things and there's nothing wrong with those things. Mm -hmm. There's lots of benefits to them. But I find with people that actually what happens is when we set out to do things like that, they can tend to just be another to-do list. Of course. And I think we can do much better when it comes to minding our mental health. And there's small little things, tinier, much smaller things that we can do as a starting place. And if you're in a place where you know, 10 minutes meditation or journaling or whatever a day is what you want to do, then that's wonderful. But I suppose maybe here we're speaking to the people for whom that just ends up being a failure. And I thought it was interesting. David mentioned it there earlier. We can sometimes set goals for ourselves and we don't achieve them. And then we feel as if we're we're failing on mm-hmm. things. So I think we're going to come at this from that perspective where it's things that are a bit different from that. And part of that means for me anyway, it means that we have to set the context you know, of where we've come from. So, you know, 2020, 2021, 22 mm-hmm. to now, where we are in the pandemic, we've had the war in Ukraine, cost of living crisis. And in all of those things, if people were dealing with bereavement or illness or anything else, they didn't stop. So we, for your mental health, you need to meet yourself where you're at. Yeah. And that means starting to say, well, let me look at the context because you wanting to add things in to improve your mental health in 2023 could be very different than what you might have added in in 2015, for example. Yeah. And I think as well, sometimes people compare their lives to other people's without context because, you know, you are not in the same environment or living the same life as anybody else. And it's almost like you said, everybody's individual starting point this year is different. Yes, and well said. And and I think the thing there is, you know, there are some people for sure who are out living their best life mm-hmm. and that's wonderful. But there are also are other people who uh, the the expression I use around the last few years is that we've been upended and for a lot of people to try and get themselves sort of upright after being upended can be a challenge at the minute. And so it's starting from that place and not assuming that we're all feeling wonderful in top tip condition, mm-hmm. you know, happy out. We're not starting necessarily from that point. And even if you don't need to start until the 1st of February, even if it's just surviving January, that's okay too. You can note all these points down and then use them from the 1st of February. What I would like to ask, Neve, is I suppose, how important is it that we acknowledge how well we're doing? Because sometimes we're quite hard on ourselves. Yeah, that's such an important point there, Anna, because what we have to do is really, I think, start with backing ourselves. Now, mentally, that's so good for ourselves to back ourselves. But I'm a psychologist 30 plus years. The thing I find that people do 
least is back themselves. Most what we do is we doubt ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, and we we're very quick to jump to where I haven't done well or I'm not going to be able to do that. So what's very important and actually those last few years, which is why we started with the context piece, the last few years give us an opportunity to that. Because what you got to do is acknowledge, acknowledge what you have dealt with over the last few years and what you're currently dealing with. Mm -hmm. If somebody had said to us, you know, six years ago, you will deal with all of these things because we're living a big life now with big things. You will deal with all of these things one after another, after another, after another, and you will keep going. We have said I'll never do that. Yeah. And we would have run away. So so acknowledging what we've navigated and reminding yourself, saying to yourself, I've done tough things. I think that's really important. Yeah, that's a very good one to even repeat yourself, even out loud. Yes. And to remember, too, that the you who has survived everything that you've survived up to now is the you who is going to live your best life, your rest of your life. So you're well entitled to back yourself. I want you to get used to backing yourself. Start to add in, you know, the the, the ability to acknowledge what you've achieved and say, well, doesn't that give me the right yeah. to actually back myself going forward? I think sometimes it's easier to back other people in our lives, our friends or our family than to actually back ourselves. I don't know if it's a societal thing or what, but we berate ourselves first and we congratulate ourselves last. Yes. And and you mentioned there the comparison piece. I'd say to people, if you want to compare, think about self-comparison rather than social comparison. So where am I now in relation to where I would like to be? Just start Mm -hmm. there with your comparison piece if you're going to do that. But certainly that bit of add in starting to back yourself, add in starting to open your eyes and see what you've done and what you've navigated and dealt with and place a value on that. Let's put that as our starting thing to add in mentally. And Niamh, how important is it then to almost extract the learnings from the last few years to use them going forward? Well, this is key. And I'm going to stretch that out a little bit and say what I'd love people to do to help their mental health is to extract the learnings from anything you do. So whatever you do in life, let the emotions settle down around it and then stop and take a wee bit of time to reflect and think about, well, you know, what did I discover about myself in getting through that? And whether that was exams or that was sport or that was work or relationships or bereavement or whatever. What have I discovered about me in that? What do I know now that I'm capable of? And what did I learn, say, about things like my support system or my resources? And look also, especially in the last few years, it's been an opportunity for a life audit. So think about, well, what have I discovered really matters to me? So much has been taken away from us in the last few Mm -hmm. years. That tells you what matters to you and it tells you what your values are. And I think mentally it's a really good thing to reflect on these things because they give you information about the sort of life you want for yourself. And mentally, that's good to know that we do need to know that. So we're not wandering sort of aimlessly and then maybe finding ourselves five years, 10 years down the line in a life that we haven't really had any intentionality about. Mm -hmm. That's a very good point. And I think, you know, you believe in, in, in feelings almost as being signals. So can you elaborate on that and, 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 and tell us a little bit more? Yeah, if you got into a car now and you turn on the ignition, you'll see maybe the fuel tank might come on. The little light for the fuel tank would come on on the dashboard. Mm-hmm. That's just to indicate that you need to get to the nearest 
station to fuel up. Your feelings are the same thing. See them like the lights on the dashboard of a car. They're not problems. They're not weakness. They are signals which give you a signpost towards what needs your attention in life. So if you start to notice your feelings and be curious about them and allow them, don't gaslight yourself. So, you know, people are always saying things like, you know, I'm anxious. What's wrong with me? Why am I feeling like this? I want you to look towards that with a curiosity rather than the judgment, knowing that actually your system's trying to indicate that something needs your attention. So if you said to yourself on a regular basis, you know, how am I feeling and where in my body do I experience that feeling? Is it a heaviness in my chest? Is it a, you know, a sinking feeling in my stomach? Is it a tension in my shoulders? Then you could ask yourself, what does that feeling seem related to? And we're smart, Anna. <laughs> Human beings are smart. Your system, if you ask it, you're, if you stay quiet, mm-hmm. your system will tell you what's going on. So how am I feeling? Where do I feel it? What does the feeling seem related to be to seem related to? And what might it be telling me yeah. needs my attention? Focus on those. Be curious and allow your feelings. A great thing to add in for your mental health. And it all feeds into the bigger picture of of us just normalising, minding ourselves. Yeah, I think what's interesting is we we talk about self-care and one of your listeners there writing in or with a voice note Mm -hmm. in mentioned it there. What I get people to think about here is think of a table Mm -hmm. and that table has four legs on it. And if you what you want to do really is you want to pay attention to the four legs of the table in order to try and keep the table upright so it is not upended. And what are those four legs of the table? The first one would be sleep and rest, Mm -hmm. sleep being what you do at night and rest just the general periods throughout the day, nutrition and hydration, fresh air and movement. And then the fourth one would be connection. So sleep and rest, the first nutrition and hydration, the second fresh air and movement, the third, and connection would be the fourth. And with connection, I would see that as connection to something you like to do to a passion, but also connection to people. And again, one of your listeners mentioned that, didn't they? You mentioned friendships. Yeah, and it's because often we'll hear about sleep, we'll hear about nutrition, we'll hear about movement, but I love the fresh air and the connection because they're just as important to our mental health. Hugely, we know the benefit of, you know, water, the benefit of green spaces. All of those things are so important to us. And again, listening to Orla and David earlier, what was really interesting is when when I thought of the, the four legs of the table, actually the work that each of those had done with you in this chat here today mm-hmm. had covered those bits. So it's really key how we're a complete person. It's a life is a full body experience. It's not separating them out. So what we do mentally impacts us physically and what we do physically impacts us mentally. So think about that four legs of the table and think about how can I incrementally maybe help my sleep or my nutrition or my fresh air? And if you look at those four things, you'll know straight away Which one of those? You might say I'm really out on my connection. You know, I've no time for myself. I'm I'm always with other people or I'm too much time for myself on my own and I'm lonely. So you'll know which one of those maybe needs your attention first. But think of that way. That legs of the table can be useful in minding yourself. Yeah, it's a brilliant picture to keep in your head. Are are all the legs of the table okay? Are they sturdy? Are we keeping the table upright? Niamh, thank you. It's always an enlightening conversation. Thank you for all of your tips. And of course, you can reach out to Neve as well at nevefitzpatrickpsychology.ie.
time now for some health news, bringing us up to date today and putting some of those latest stories into perspective for us is health and medical journalist Danielle Byrne. Danielle, welcome to Supercharged. The first story you've chosen, it's almost like a little bit of an extra justification for those of us that might be secretly planning our summer holidays during these dark days in oh, January. <laughs> this is the time to look at holidays. Have you been doing it yourself? I, I may have been, yeah. I think no. a lot of my screen time is, is yeah. me scrolling. Like, now it I might just go? be centre parks for me this year, but that's okay because there's this new survey. It was a huge survey done in the UK and it was really interesting because it found that those of us that travel away from our home location, we actually report better health. Mm. And it was really... I'm going to say interesting again because it was only 15 miles. You didn't have to go that far. So whether you book in Ishbafa now or a week in Ibiza and it doesn't matter. (laughs) Okay, these effects were much more pronounced though in people aged over 55. So um, it's... It seems that it was much more linked to like the fact that loneliness and social engagement, obviously, the more often you left your house, the more you interacted with people, you had that engagement. I mean, we saw that obviously during the pandemic Mm -hmm. and it's all a matter of, you know, if you don't use it, you lose it. So it's all about keeping that brain engaged and having those social connections. And that tied in with another story I saw this week and it found that early retirement can actually accelerate cognitive decline among okay. the elderly and that's, that kind of makes a lot of sense doesn't it because you know you're not out and about you're not yeah. meeting people you're not probably using your brain as much now that does show that maybe if you retire and you go travelling a lot well, that's it you, retire early but do more travel exactly. so they'll balance out and just you know bring, bring back that social connection that you might lose from say lo- leaving the workplace mm-hmm. yeah and I think as well even for people you know joining clubs is so important at any age but particularly yeah. if you have retired you know whether it's bridge a walking club and, totally. and almost then if you are doing a walking club you often can go on trips yeah. which is 15, 15 miles, miles beyond yeah, your home so exactly. it's, it's tying everything in okay I love it so staying I suppose healthy and well as we get older is a goal and we've talked about it on the show today. But there was news this week about some developments for Alzheimer's disease. And like, would I be right in saying that like, this is typically a condition where we haven't really seen that much in the way of major breakthroughs? Yeah, I was, I was really happy to see these developments this week because it is an area where, you know, I don't think it gets as much as the, maybe the attention and the funding say that something mm-hmm. like cancer has. And we just haven't seen those developments. While we really do understand like the pathophysiology of the disease more and more, it hasn't translated into better drugs. Mm-hmm. Now, we do have some drugs that, you know, will control the symptoms, but they don't really get to the nub of the disease. They don't prevent it. So what I saw this week was there was actually a new drug approved by the FDA that will result in a modest benefit if it's used early in the course of the disease. And that ties in with another study I saw that... um, a new blood test could be used to really find it much earlier on because they've oh, wow. they found these biomarkers and they'll be able to find them in a simple blood test which is a really definitive test if you think about it because typically something like a diagnosis would would be involved like questionnaires mm-hmm. and you know um, history whereas like a blood test is pretty definitive so this is really good news and you know I, I don't know if if, if you know anyone who's had Alzheimer's, it's a really devastating oh, disease really of, of older age. And it's something that we really do need to have breakthroughs in, you know. And and often it isn't the major breakthrough, it's the baby steps. And that's what gets us there. It's these increments. And this week was we saw two of those increments. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's great news, as you said. It's, that's what you want to see. It's just these consistent breakthroughs, yeah. no matter how small, coming in all the time. So, well, speaking of breakthroughs as well, I'm seeing the, is it Ozempic mentioned mm. everywhere on social media? Yeah. You know, what is the connection between this drug and weight loss? Okay, so I've you can't avoid it. And I've seen all these, I keep being sent these TikToks of, um, you know, this celebrity is on it, that celebrity is on it. So far, the only person I've seen confirm they're on it is Elon Musk. Now, he's not someone I'd be... <laughs> 
we'll move on. But, yeah, we'll <laughs> move on. But uh, it was originally developed for diabetes and like a lot of medications, they found that it had this other positive benefit, which was significant weight loss, over 10%. Some studies actually showed that it was up to 13%. It really has been touted as the holy grail of well, weight loss. That's what I've know, seen somewhere. Yeah. Is that really the case? Well, you know what? It's, not, it's a serious drug. But now doctors are beginning to treat obesity as a serious disease. It's Mm -hmm. a chronic disease like any other and they realise that, you know, medication is going to be part of the treatment for obesity. So it is actually licensed in Ireland since last year. You have to have a BMI of over 30, but you also have to be somebody who has been, you know, trying to lose weight. I mean, it's all very well saying to someone, eat less and move more, but it's a lot more complicated Mm -hmm. than that and that's what researchers know now. Now that said, Ozempic has side effects, but of course there's significant side effects to being seriously overweight. Mm -hmm. So it is only for the right patient is not someone trying to lose a few pounds after Christmas and it's a weekly injection and you're on it for life. Okay. The benefits stop the minute you stop taking it. So it's it's not something you'd go on to lightly. One of the things I will say and I was speaking to a diabetic actually during the week and before I even realised we were going to be talking about this mm. and they brought it up and they said that as a diabetic they're quite worried because the demand for this drug now is increasing and that they're actually afraid that that could pose problems down the line. Drug shortages have happened in the news recently and that's a problem across the board but I mean the person with obesity is equally entitled to Mm -hmm. be prescribed this this medication and and to to benefit from it. Um, It was originally developed for diabetes and obviously we know that obesity is a major Mm -hmm. risk factor for developing type 2 diabetes so it's all very much linked you couldn't really separate them out. I would say that maybe um, it's something that you know we're all going to have to get more comfortable with the idea of maybe taking a medication for weight loss because um, we all have maybe preconceived notions about how to lose weight and like I said the reality is a lot more complex. Yeah and of course there are people with particular conditions that might find it difficult too mm-hmm. so as you said it's not straightforward. We can't get away from Prince Harry this week. Uh, like one of the many, many talking points from his autobiography was this revelation that he believes, and I say he believes, mm-hmm. psychedelics cured him of his depression. You know, is there truth in it? Um, how yeah. did this come about? Okay, well, like I, I'm not going to read the book, but I have been hoovering up all the articles on <laughs> all it. The, it's, yeah. I feel like we have read the book with all the little yeah, clips that I are Yeah, I feel out like there. I've read it. But um, yeah, this, this is a good one because he... <laughs> Like it's very kind of like good for him off he went to the desert to try and find himself like delighted for him but um, (laughs) it's definitely not a recommendation to go off and try magic mushrooms but there's lots of trials going on in this area and it's something that like we're really getting away from the whole hippy dippy um, perception of psychedelics there's lots of clinical studies going on in this area there was a big one published last year in the New England Journal of Medicine about psilocybin it's the active ingredient to magic mushrooms where it actually treated um, the symptoms of treatment resistant depression so the most difficult type to treat and right. it, the effects lasted for over a year and that's just one of many studies but like there's lots of recreational drugs that we would view as like illegal um, that and dangerous actually, yeah and dangerous exactly but they're being studied in these really controlled conditions and they're having great benefit for example St. Patrick's Mental Health Services and Trinity College have two big studies ongoing using ketamine like which is an anaesthetic really? but yeah. you know we'd know it as a recreational drug as well and that's having great impact in depression but like I said these are these are serious substances like yeah. and they're mind and they're altering. very controlled uh, experiments and, and, and exactly and it's only going to be given in a very controlled clinical setting anyway but look that was that was one of the revelations but I, I've stayed away from um, frostbite on the private parts and I, I haven't used my HR cream all week. If you want to hear more I'm sure if you just Google Prince Harry and you'll find out more we're definitely not going to be discussing that side of things on the show. Daniel Barron thank you so much for coming in and for filling us in on all of the up to date health stories now 
we need to leave it there. If you want a reminder of all of the advice given out this evening, you can listen back to the show at rte.ie forward slash supercharged or on the RTE Radio Player app. You'll also find the first two series there too. Thanks to the team here, John, Louise, Mahi, Owen and Jamie and of course to all of our brilliant guests and for all of you for your messages, your voice notes and your questions. You can keep in touch with us via email supercharged at rte.ie or you can reach me on Instagram at Anna G. Cork. Again, any upcoming suggestions about topics you want to cover or any questions you might have for upcoming guests too. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday evening. Mind yourselves and mind each other. Supercharged with Anna Geary on RTE Radio 1.